Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm your host, Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy. And today we have Rachel from Austin, Texas. And this story is unique because Rachel actually is a listener of the podcast and reached out wanting to share her story. And so I called her, we talked, and it just was so fitting for right now. Yes, it was. You know, one of the things that a lot of you have been asking for are stories about learning how to trust God in the middle of waiting Mm -hmm. for answers. I think we're all in the midst of that right now. And we entitled her story called Waiting on God because she talks about, you know, learning how to trust Him in the midst of some trials that she walked through in her life and really just trusting his plan when it didn't line up with hers. Yes. So here is Rachel's story. Before we get to Rachel's story, Lindy has a story for us from Never Thirst. Katie and Robin, I want to introduce you to Shari. She is a mother living in Nepal, trying to take care of her family, just like all of us. And every single day, Shari used to have to wake up, grab her water jar, and walk two hours to collect water. Not just an average walk, Mm. but through the jungle, fearing wild elephants and other animals. And sometimes she would have to do this task four or five times in a day. It's amazing. But Never Thirst partnered with her community and piped in a water tap near her house. And now Shari says that her life is more comfortable and now it only takes her two to three minutes to get water. You can see Shari's picture on our social media today. And we want y'all to partner with us and help women like Shari with the gift of clean water. Visit neverthirst.org backslash storytellers to join Never Thirst giving community. Well, hi, my name is Rachel. I am a native Texan uh, who moved to Boise, Idaho when I was about four years old. I was raised in church, but I didn't necessarily grasp the idea of having a relationship with Jesus until I was probably in my 20s. It was sort of a gradual process. And I spent years, probably all of my adolescence, trying to earn my salvation um, and also trying to just earn the approval of others. I had some pretty serious issues with self-esteem and that just made me hungry for people to give me that pat on the head and and also just to fit in. At the same time, I was also really prideful and judgmental and just not a very good person a lot of the time and really not a good friend. I can look back on instances and just cringe at how I treated people. So that was childhood. Um, Through a series of life events, I ended up back in Texas and eventually I ended up in Austin, Texas, and that's where I am now. And I had a new job and I started going to a new church and just had a new everything. And that was a really good change for me because it was the first time that I was ever fully on my own without that nearby support system of family and friends. And so when things went wrong or they were hard, I finally started turning to God and reaching out to him instead of calling my mom or talking to friends about it. I I had no choice really, but to lean on God more. And so my first year in Austin, I, I, I grew a really great circle of authentic Christian friends, but I also found myself immersed in the word more and more and depending on Jesus more and more. Um, I was lonely a lot and God really filled that vacuum with himself. And in hindsight, I can look back on that season and see that God was giving me little challenges before big ones. And he was sort of allowing me to like practice trusting him when the stakes were relatively low. And I think that that was just such a fatherly thing to do, especially when I look back on what's happened the past four or so years of my life. During my second year in Austin, I met my husband uh, at a Song of Solomon Bible study. (laughs) Uh, I had tried all the dating sites. I mean, I was on all of them (laughs) and had never met anybody worthwhile. And Joel and I, we probably wouldn't have chosen each other even if we had been matched on one. And I was really attending that Bible study 
because I was genuinely interested in the topic of godly marriage and courtship. And I had never done a study of the Song of Solomon before, and I really wanted to. So I was really there to pursue God uh, and to delight myself in him. And in return, he fulfilled the promise in Psalm 30, or 37 verse 4 and gave me the desire of my heart, which was a godly, hardworking, generous husband who, who really loves me and loves Christ. We went on our first date on New Year's Eve of 2013, and we were married less than a year later, on, uh, right before Thanksgiving in 2014. And we had a beautiful, fun first year of marriage. We traveled a lot, had a lot of adventures and a lot of laughter. Uh, but Joel was 40 and I was 33. So Joel was 40. It wasn't so much that I was, it wasn't so much that I was getting old, but he was. <laughs> and so we, we got to the business of starting our family right around our, our first anniversary. And we were successful right off the bat. Um, I took a pregnancy test early one December morning and it was positive. And I just remember thinking, wow, my plan is right on track. This happened so quickly and counted, you know, nine months ahead and started making plans based on that due date. I made my first OB appointment the same day I took the test and I started researching doulas and birthing methods. And then three days later, it ended. So that is clinically called a chemical pregnancy, which is a really early miscarriage. And it was such just an affront to me because I had already started planning things. And I wanted that plan. I was stubborn and I was childish. My mom has always said that I can be like a bulldog with a bone. And that's very true. That's, that's how I acted. So, you know, um, the next few months of us trying to conceive were really emotional because I was holding it so tightly. I was really impatient and demanding of God and also my husband. And I finally calmed down a bit after I read Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 one morning in my quiet time. And it says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. And I had been striving and controlling so much that the words rest and quietness just felt like a solve on my soul that day. And I really did finally lay it all at, at the feet of Jesus. Um, and then I conceived a short time later. And for the record, I, I've heard people say that, and I, all, all through our journey, people would tell me, oh, you just need to relax. And I don't think that's what it was. I don't think it's that God was withholding a baby from me because I was all spun up. But I'm so glad that I just got to the point where I had peace. That was the important part. But we did conceive and it was a, it was a totally healthy pregnancy. Um, I was, had my head in the toilet for the first 17 weeks or so, <laughs> which was miserable. But after that, it was a totally fun pregnancy. I loved all of it. I was fascinated by it, by the changes to my body. I loved the feeling of my baby moving inside of me. Um, and when I was 38 weeks, my water broke at home and I wasn't having any, any contractions and my doctor was calm on the phone and she told us just to head on in whenever we were ready. But I was ready to go. I wanted to be at the hospital with all the doctors and the nurses and resources that we could have. And uh, we checked in about 90 minutes later. <laughs> and then 17 hours later, I had, I had my daughter and I was able to give birth to her naturally, which is what I had wanted to do. And I'm so grateful that, that all of the magic and just beauty of those moments were crystal clear for me that I experienced everything, I felt everything, and I can remember everything. And I was in love immediately with, with Lily and with motherhood. And the moment my doctor handed her to me, all small and slippery, was just like the most magical moment of my life. And I, I still get chills when I think about it even right now. And I really, really wanted to do that again. Um, at first, I couldn't even imagine having another baby because I didn't think I could love anyone the way that I loved my daughter. Uh, but as her first birthday approached, we decided to start trying for number two. Um, and we did get pregnant right away. 
and we were really excited and felt lucky that it had happened so quickly. And again, I thought my plan is clicking right along. We're going to have this baby and I was going to be a part of the two under two club, which I was very excited about. We told our families right at Christmas time and everybody was excited. And then we just started making plans, um, you know, talking about moving Lily into the bigger car seat and looking at maybe getting a larger home. And I was, I was sort of prideful about it too. Like, look how good I am at this. Look how fast things are going. And then we were even thinking ahead to, well, great. This means we can definitely have a third child. Like we're going to get this one on the ground and then we can go ahead and try for number three, which is what we really wanted. Um, our eight week appointment day came and we went and I measured behind and we couldn't find a heartbeat. Uh, so the explanation was that I probably had just ovulated early because I was still breastfeeding my daughter and that our dates were a little off. So we went home that day, not worried. We had another ultrasound scheduled for about a week later. And I was just sort of like, all right, well, great. I guess, you know, we're two weeks behind and whatever. I didn't really think about having a loss. Like it didn't enter my mind and the doctor didn't really list it as a possibility. Uh, but the next day a nurse called and told me that my blood work had come back and was consistent with an impending miscarriage. So I was floored by that and just really crushed and angry. And all that pride that I had felt over being good at motherhood and my plan going right along made it that much harder because I just felt like such a failure and everything was off track. So that was called a missed miscarriage, which means my body didn't get the message that our baby had passed away. So I waited 10 days and nothing happened. So my midwife prescribed medicine to hopefully induce the miscarriage at home and it worked. I took that final dose of medicine before bed one night and then woke up about an hour later with cramps that were reminiscent of my labor with Lily. And I, I got out of bed and it happened. I felt my baby leave my body. And so I went into the bathroom and got cleaned up and I just sat on the bath rug for I don't know how long and just cried. And I could have woken my husband up and he certainly would have comforted me, but I just wanted to be alone with that loss, alone with the loss of that baby. And uh, even though the official miscarriage had occurred, my body held on to what's referred to as pregnancy material, which I think is an awful term. And it kept producing hormones and my body kept laying down endometrial lining. And those hormones made me angry and unpredictable. I mean, if anybody's ever been through the third trimester mood swings, uh, that's what I was like. Or I'm sorry, first trimester mood swings. That's what I was like. I was just kind of back and forth every day. And then the physical symptoms of all that made it impossible to forget what had happened, to go even 15 minutes without thinking about that baby that I wasn't having anymore. Uh, there was no escaping it. And I think that's one of the hardest facts of pregnancy loss is that it's not like losing a person, which is terrible, L losing a, a grown person or a, a person person. <laughs> you know, it happens to your body. And so you lose that life, but you, it's happening to you at the same time. And you have to deal with all of that. And you can't really distract yourself or separate yourself from it. But finally, a full month after our miscarriage had been diagnosed, I did have a DNC procedure. And once my body cleared the remaining hormones and everything, I, I was able to start healing emotionally and, and bounce back a little bit. Uh, so we began trying again as soon as we could, and we became pregnant quickly again. <laughs> uh, this time we scheduled an early six-week ultrasound. But at that appointment, our baby's heartbeat was weak. Our midwife told us, I've seen plenty of these turn out fine. Keep your eight-week appointment but her tone was really unencouraging. And uh, I saw in her hand in our ultrasound results, the letters preliminary stamped on it. And I thought, okay, well, they're not taking it very seriously. So I wasn't really sure if we were supposed to. I 
the next two weeks were just really the longest of my life. I ping pong between hope and fear and despair. But one Saturday, Saturday afternoon, I was doing dishes and I was listening to music and the song It Is Well by Bethel came on. And that song ministered to me in such a beautiful way that I, I just know it was the Holy Spirit settling over me. Um, I actually closed my dishwasher and then just fell to my knees and started worshiping God in my kitchen. And I just knew that he understood my fear and my pain. And I knew that he was ultimately victorious over death, even miscarriage. And I started meditating on Romans 8, 28 and just clung to the promise that God would work everything for my good, no matter what occurred at our next appointment. And during that waiting period, I, I learned that I, I cannot be joyful in my own strength, that I needed Jesus first thing in the morning and I needed him all day long. I had to turn to him and hold on to him because if I didn't, I was just clutching at the air for reassurance. And it, he was the only place that I could find peace during that time. Finally, the, uh, the eight-week appointment day came. And that baby, that baby measured a week behind, and there was no heartbeat at all that day. So it was another missed miscarriage, and that one dragged out for several weeks, too. So then we waited many, many months before trying again. We needed a long break from, from all of that. And by the time we did start trying, despite my faith in Romans 8.28, I was in a place where control and comparison were just ruling my life. I adopted a long list of rules and rituals for myself and my husband <laughs> meant to not only get pregnant, but stay pregnant. That was my goal. Like, I, I know I can get pregnant. I've got to figure out. I've got to figure out how to stay pregnant. I stopped dyeing my hair. I wore socks around the clock and I slept with a heating pad on my feet because I had read that warm feet mean a warm womb and you need a warm womb for proper implantation to occur. I stopped drinking cold liquids for the same reason. I took buckets of supplements. We stopped eating out because I wanted to control every ingredient that touched my lips. I gave up caffeine completely. <laughs> and I asked my husband to do the same, which was really cruel of me because he is on 5 a.m. international calls several mornings a week. But he did it. <laughs> He's a good man. I mean, I really acted and believed like it was entirely up to me to grow our family. I just sort of forgot that God was like the major part of that equation. And it was a really, I would say the most unhappy season of our marriage and probably one of the worst of my life. We just stripped ourselves of joy of doing anything that we really enjoyed and just were hyper controlling and anxious that whole time. I just wasn't walking in freedom. I wasn't trusting God. I wanted my will to be done and nothing else would do. Uh, I did get pregnant that spring. It was the spring of 2019. And I was immediately just kind of leveled by morning sickness. I had been really sick with Lily, uh, but I hadn't really been sick at all in the last two pregnancies. So I was optimistic that that was a good sign that this one was going to stick. And that eight week appointment day came and we were so hopeful. And we took Lily with us and we all held hands in that dark ultrasound room and just waiting for those first sights and sounds of, of that baby. And, um, and they just never came. Um, the, the ultrasound tech who, by that point, we'd gotten to know pretty well. <laughs> she was really chatty most of the time. And that day she was just so quiet. And I was watching the screen and I mean, I knew what to look for. And I, before she said anything, I knew, I knew what had happened. And it turns out that the baby was only seven, was only measuring seven weeks, about four days. And, uh, and there was no heartbeat again. And so I asked for the induction medication that day. I didn't want to try to wait it out or see what happened. I was just ready to let's move on. So after that loss, we weren't even sure we wanted to try again. Uh, and we considered that. But I knew that if I didn't kind of run it to the end and at least try to figure out a reason, 
and, and maybe try to over, then overcome that reason and try again that I would be just haunted by it for the rest of my life. So we did, we turned to a fertility specialist and um, navigated a really long list of tests and procedures, trying to find the cause of the miscarriages to see if there was some obscure structural or hormonal issue with me that, that, our, that our regular doctor had missed. And initially the specialist just told me that my eggs were probably old. I mean, at this point I was 35, so that was kind of a hard pill to swallow. Um, but he, he thought that's probably what's going on and that IVF was our best option. But that was a process that we weren't comfortable with. Um, but regardless, our doctor, who was just the epitome of professional and kind, uh, he recommended that still do your due diligence. And so we spent that summer doing all the tests and I went for a lot of different imaging and it was a, it was a long season of a, a lot of, just a lot. <laughs> um, I did have a minor exploratory procedure that fall, hoping, hoping that we would find like a smoking gun in my uterus, like, oh, this is definitely the reason and we can fix it. And then you'll go on and get pregnant and everything will be fine. Um, but actually it, it, it revealed nothing conclusive. It just sort of led to, led to more. So I was holding on to a verse in Psalm. It was Psalm 37, verse 23, that says, he makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. And that time period was all waiting and no guarantees. And I had zero control. All I could do was count on God to make my steps firm. One test at a time, one lab at a time, one image at a time. Like, okay, just keep making our steps firm, God. Keep leading us. And I just had to trust that he was going to work it out in his perfect time, in his perfect way. And if I didn't like make a conscious decision every day to lay it at his feet, I just would fall apart if one of my triggers was pulled during that time. Um, you know, I was fighting comparison and envy every time I saw a pregnant belly. Um, and I just really, I felt really unseen by others. I felt my pain was unseen by others and that no one understood where I was coming from or what I, what I was going through. So I just had to stay in that place where I remember that God always sees and always understands. And I had to take my comfort in that. It was also during that time that I started praying, not my will, but yours. And that's a really simple concept and a simple prayer, but it was a huge <laughs> hurdle for me to overcome because I had always been afraid to pray that way because I was afraid that if I did, I would give God permission to tell me no. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's, that was my thinking. And, you know, but I started praying your will, God, not mine, yours. And maybe my eggs were old and maybe God was going to say no to us having another baby. And I didn't want that at all, but I did start coming to a place where I could trust his plans more than I trusted my own, I guess. And, and I started having kind of this peace that I had never known when I started thinking that way and praying that way. Um, in the fall of 2019, after a dye x-ray, lots of labs, that minor surgery I talked about, and then an MRI, <laughs> our specialists did determine that two fibroid tumors had likely caused our losses. Those are actually really hard to find and uncover and figure out where they're at and what they're doing. But through all of that testing and imaging, he determined that they were in a place that they were um, impinging on my uterus and it was causing issues with the way that our embryos were implanting and then they just weren't able to continue growing at a, at a certain point. So we definitely had to have them taken care of before we attempted pregnancy again because uh, they were certainly an impediment. So removing them though required a major abdominal surgery, like a major incision, cut you open, move things around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> take them out. And then it was, you know, time in the hospital and a long recovery. So that was a big, that was a big decision. Um, but it was a reason, like we had prayed for a reason. We had hoped for a reason and we had gotten one. I didn't have old eggs. I had fibroids. Um, and we had that solution too. Like, okay, you can do this and then it's going to significantly increase your chances of a healthy pregnancy. And so 
but, but I was still fearful of that surgery. And I think it's because I, I know it's because that I was afraid of dying and leaving my daughter behind. Um, it was seemed really irresponsible to have such a major and elective procedure when I had a young child depending on me, but through prayer and, and we had some really good friends counsel us on it. I did go forward with it. I mean, we had been praying for another healthy baby and not having that surgery felt really silly and foolish and just distrustful of God. You know, it felt like I might be denying him glory of some kind if I didn't go through it, go through with it. So I got to the point where like, I knew he was in control and that I could trust him not only with my life, but with Lily's life too. And just kind of threw my hands up and said, all right, if the worst happens, I know he's going to use it for her good. Just as he was using suffering to shape me and pull me closer to him, he would do that for Lily, you know, if, in the very unlikely event that anything happened to me during surgery. I mean, it was still, it was pretty far-fetched, but as a mama, I think that's where your mind goes, right? So that was a pretty profound shift for me because I've always been such a type, I say I'm a type double A, <laughs> you're just a control freak. Um, so I had that surgery and everything went really well. Um, but four days later, it was actually on Halloween, um, the fertility specialist called me and told me that he had found cancer. The pathology results had come back showing cancer. Um, so it turns out that one of those fibroids had actually been a malignant tumor. And I just, I hung up with him that afternoon and I just, I was in bed because I was still recovering from surgery. And I just sat back against my headboard and I didn't even know how to start processing that. Like it was just the most out of left field thing I could imagine. Um, it was a really cold gray day. And I remember hearing the wind kind of hitting the side of the house. And it was that eerie sound. And I was completely alone. Uh, Joel had taken Lily to the pediatrician with an ear infection. So I was just there alone with it, you know. So I couldn't just sit still and do nothing. Um, but I literally, I couldn't move around because of the four-inch incision in my abdomen. So I just started calling the different oncologists that, that um, our specialists had recommended. And I really hoped that I could speak to someone like right then and just clear the whole thing up. <laughs> Like that they would say, oh, well, it's probably just this and you don't need to worry too much. And I really just wanted to get an answer before Joel got home. But of course, all I could do was leave voicemails. And when Joel did come home that afternoon, I, you know, I had to tell him it wasn't something I could keep from him, although I entertained that idea. <laughs> I said it fast and then I just sort of cringed like I was expecting him to be angry. We had been through so much already and he had been so supportive and had endured so much alongside me. And I was ashamed to lay that news on him that we have this brand new surprise hurdle to overcome. I was just, I was apologetic <laughs> about it, but he just pulled me into his arms and said, you know, it's going to be okay. And I really wanted to believe that, but I knew that he didn't know it would be okay because it was cancer and I didn't know what to expect or how afraid I was supposed to be. So that night I didn't even want Lily out of my sight. <laughs> so I moved from my bed to the couch and I helped her into her butterfly costume and I painted her face. And she couldn't go trick-or-treating that night because she had that ear infection, um, but she was helping Joel pass out candy. And I just sat on the couch and watched her every move. And I, even though I was sitting still, like my heart and my mind were just racing through the different, the, the different outcomes. And I was, you know, just thinking about, you know, what if I'm not here next Halloween? What if I'm not there when she graduates? What if I'm not there on her wedding day? Just terrible thoughts for a mom to have when you have a, a sweet little three-year-old. She wasn't even three yet. She was, she was a few months sh uh, shy of her third birthday. So in hindsight, I know that the peace God had given me over having that surgery in the first place was preparation for that day's phone call. Um, it's almost like I had needed a practice round in trusting my daughter to him. And I just think that was such a faithful father move that I had sort of 
again, it was just, it was like practice. So a long, long 10 days later, <laughs> I was able to see an oncologist and he officially diagnosed me with endometrial stromal sarcoma, uh, which is a, a, a really rare uterine cancer that can be aggressive if it's left unchecked. Um, it's not usually diagnosed until it's advanced. And there are a lot of symptoms like heavy bleeding and a lot of pain. And I hadn't had any symptoms. I had just had those losses. And seeing the specialist had led to the surgery that uncovered it. And because of that, praise the Lord, uh, we caught it really early and at a stage that was very treatable. And so that was exactly the opposite of the outcome we had hoped for when we had the fibroid surgery. I mean, we had wanted another baby. And instead, I was being told I had to give up my womb to save my life. So at first I was thoroughly grateful and I shifted my focus uh, from growing my family to like staying alive for the family that I had. Like, okay, Rach, you've got you've to like do this. You've got to get on top of this. You have Joel, you have Lily. But then as I learned more and realized that the prognosis was really good following the hysterectomy, I just began to deeply, deeply grieve the loss of my fertility and that, that possibility of any more biological children. I mean, even if we had been open to IVF, and could have afforded a surrogate at that point, because I wouldn't have been able to carry uh, my cancer. It was, it's a hormone-fueled cancer, so I couldn't have done, you know, there's a lot of hormone treatment that you have to do before egg retrieval, and I couldn't have done that safely. And then we even asked the oncologist, you know, what if we postpone surgery? Could we wait a while and try to get pregnant? And he, he just said no. Like, it was just way too risky to me and to the, un to the unborn child if we were successful in conceiving. And so it just couldn't be done. And um, so. I say, when I tell this story, I say, you know, the door to having more children was not just closed, like it was sealed, hammered shut. The answer was no. <laughs> so, of course, I mourned that, um, but simultaneously, I had to start preparing for surgical menopause at age 36. And I compare that whole process and season to like an archaeological dig, <laughs> because I kept like unearthing new layers of emotions and questions. And I had to work through them as they came. And sometimes I'd get stuck in one place for a few days or even weeks. And then sometimes I'd go back to a layer that I thought I'd already processed. And on top of losing the hope of another child, I perceived my, that my womanhood was on the block, well, on the chopping block. Um, this can't, since it was hormone fueled, um, hormone replacement therapy was not likely going to be an option for me. So my research had told me, you know, I had this I had this long list of issues and risks that I'd have to deal with for the rest of my life because of this premature and like total hormone deprivation. Uh, things like decreased libido, weight gain, diabetes, heart disease, forgetfulness, osteoporosis. Um, really, I mean, everybody thinks of menopause and they think hot flashes, but hot flashes were like the least of my concerns. <laughs> there, was, there were so many other like more serious things that I knew I was going to have to try to mitigate to just you know, stay alive and stay healthy, but then just have quality of life too as a, a still relatively young woman. But I, I took that list that I made um, to God because when I started pouring over it myself, it just made me an anxious, angry mess. So I just petted it God's feet and I followed, you know, the instructions that we find in Philippians 4, 6 to pray about everything and to not be anxious. And it took some time, but over, over time, God showed me that, you know, menopause is still under the umbrella of his sovereignty. It was a natural process, albeit it was happening to me at an unnatural time, but it wasn't some kind of collateral damage that was outside of his control. Like he was still on top of it. So I was able to sort of start focusing on my blessings instead of the anxiety and the losses. Um, you know, I had a devoted and really supportive husband to help see me through. 
I had a beautiful, healthy daughter, thank God that I had her. Um, I had excellent health care and I was, um, I was already really healthy in terms of my weight and my exercise and eating habits. And so it's not like I was starting at zero and keeping myself healthy and, and, you know, and vital. So I had the hysterectomy in January, 2020 earlier this year. Um, but it was hard. I mean, leading up to it, it was still just really, really hard. And I, in my pre-op room, the morning of the morning of the surgery, it was still just really surreal. Like I told Joel, I cannot believe that we're here and that this is happening. And then when they started to wheel me out, I was holding his hand and I just started crying and just said, I don't want to do this. You know, I just didn't want to, I didn't want that to happen to me. But after the surgery, uh, the oncologist, he talked to Joel and told him that he had seen nothing unusual, that there were no telltale signs that the cancer had spread at all. Um, and during surgery, he took several biopsies of like my abdominal lining and some lymph nodes. And I had to wait for those pathology results to be sure that I was out of the woods. But his initial opinion was, was good. And, and it was really comforting news. And so that night in the hospital, Joel slept beside my bed and we held hands all night. <laughs> um, and the next morning I woke up with this peace that I just can't really explain. It was definitely the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. I was at peace with having had the surgery at peace over my future over, you know, whether or not I was going to be healthy, whether or not I still had cancer. I just really felt great. <laughs> I felt super at peace, you know, and you know, you could say, oh, that's the painkillers, but it was probably the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Definitely the Holy Spirit. Uh, that morning, I listened to the song, Goodness of God. And the lyrics say, all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. And I listened to that and I squeezed Joel's hand and I just started weeping over God's faithfulness to me. It had been and was still going to be a long and confusing and heartbreaking road but I felt his love and his goodness just sort of wrapping around me like a blanket that morning. Um, a week later, the oncologist called and he told me that there had been a small cluster of cancer cells still in my uterus, but all of my other pathology results were completely clear. Everything was negative and I didn't need any further treatment. I didn't need chemo or radiation. All I had to do was follow up with him every three months for the first couple of years and have regular scans that uh, I was cancer free. And um, I was just, so grateful. And so I didn't realize, I don't think I realized how, how worried I was until I felt relief. I was like, okay, great. That was a short chapter and it's closed. <laughs> you know, God had spared me from that. So that was about eight months ago uh, that I got that call and had the surgery. Um, and the physical outcome of the surgery has not been like the emotional <laughs> and physical cliff that I had thought it might be. Uh, I did start having those hot flashes about two weeks after the surgery, uh, once all of my hormone reserves had sort of been depleted. Um, and I definitely went through like an adjustment period where I was really tired and I was pretty moody. And even now my thyroid is still a little out of whack um, and maybe for some time, maybe forever. Um, but I'm managing everything and I feel really good. Um, I have a really good group of practitioners that have, take, have taught me, you know, how to take care of myself. and. Um, and my oncologist did approve the use of a small amount of topical estrogen. So that's been helpful. <laughs> um, and really, uh, you know, while I, I hate COVID and I hate that we've had this pandemic and there's been so much loss of life, it's the, the I guess, the isolation or just having to stay home so much has really gotten me into some pretty good habits in terms of exercise and eating well and resting. Um, so I'm grateful for that. I know that this, the habits I've established now are going to serve me well. And then from a, from a bigger perspective, you know, on the other side of all of 
everything that we've been through, I can look back and see how God has grown me in each season of it. You know, he grew me a little after each pregnancy loss and he grew me through the cancer scare and he grew me through surgery and menopause. Um, you know, before our pregnancy losses and certainly before the cancer diagnosis, I was trying really hard to build heaven here on earth, um, trying hard to, to have my plan work out and my schedule. And I was trapped in this cycle of comparison and envy and I was discontent a lot of the time even though I have so much. And most of all, I was just really controlling and really wrapped up in my plans and my will. And I, I think I had just a surface level trust in God. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't really been, my trust hadn't really been called out that much. I still have a long way to go and I guess we all do. Uh, but today I, I really rejoice in the hope of heaven where there's no suffering and there are no tears because things have gone wrong and they're going to, and they do in life. And I'm like, gosh, heaven's going to be great <laughs> when it's just, things just aren't going to go wrong. Um, and I make conscious steps every day and decisions to really try to try to store my treasure with Christ in heaven. Um, and it certainly is more real to me than ever because I have four babies there, <laughs> you know, and we named them hope, August, Violet, and Theodore, you know, and they're there already. And I, I, I imagine them, with my grandma and my aunts and some friends of mine, you know, that they're all there. You know, my experience with cancer was nothing. And I mean, nothing compared to the battles of so many. Um, I know women that have been blindsided by stage four diagnoses and, you know, it was just a blip on the radar for us, but it was enough to, to help me shed a lot of cares and concerns. Um, like my gray hair, I'm growing it out. <laughs> Not going to bother with it anymore you know, and perfect homes and perfect wardrobes, just things that women spend so much time and so much energy on. And it's like, it doesn't really matter that much. It just doesn't. Um, I have a real freedom now from comparison. And I just have a lot less time to be discontent because I, I, I'm more and more focused on, on what, what his work for me may be. You know, what is it that you want me to accomplish today, God? Who do you want me to love today? Who do you want me to see? Who do you want me to serve? you know, especially how do I serve my family, my daughter, because I want my daughter to grow up with the kind of trust. I want her to have it sooner than I got it and have it without all the suffering that I had to go through to get it. I try to, I, you know, I look for ways to serve her and serve others because I know that every single day counts and not one of them is guaranteed. And I have a new understanding of um, the scripture that tells us to cast things off, to run the race, you know, like you've got to be pretty, you've got to be light, you know, you've got to you got to be able to run and run fast and just take care of stuff and not really be worried about all these other piddly little things. Um, so if it's not about serving others and building quality relationships or just personally drawing closer to God, it just doesn't matter that much to me anymore. Um, so that's, that's been a huge area of growth for me, but the area the the growth area that I'm most grateful for is, is how I just move from fighting for my will and just thinking that that is the only way it can work. I've, I've grown from, from doing that to asking God and trusting his will. And it's, I have what I call a free falling trust in him. And whatever the question or the issue, I just, I know that I can close my eyes and fall backwards and he's going to catch me. And so I know that God had a purpose in all the suffering and loss that my husband and I experienced. Probably many purposes some of which we might find out and some which, you know, maybe we'll never know until we're in heaven. And even then, who knows? <laughs> but I know that one of them was getting me to trust my daughter to him because I have always been such an overprotective mama. And 
you know, I know that he taught me to trust her to him. And, you know, he loves her so much more than I do. And then the other purpose is teaching me to raise her to trust him. Absolutely. Uh, I want her to know him and love him deeply. I think I already touched on this, but I, I want him to be her rock, you know, because we will have trouble in this life. And I want her to be able to walk hand in hand with the one who can comfort her because I won't always be there. And even if I were there, you know, there most things I can't do much about. I mean, scraped knees, you know, at the, at the little age I can, but when she's older, you know, I can't do anything about broken hearts or job losses or, you know, the other big, big challenges that come in life. But if she knows God, then I know she's going to be able to seek her peace and her comfort in him. And I want that for her so much, you know, and when I look at Lily, I see God's grace and compassion because I don't know, you know, I don't know how long those tumors were in my body, you know, just like we lost those three babies after Lily we could have lost her, you know, and it's only by God's grace that, that I was able to have her and that I'm getting to be a, a mother to a biological child. I'm getting to experience that, that I got to experience that I got to experience childbirth and breastfeeding and all those beautiful natural things. And I know so many women that don't get to, you know, they're in it right now, not getting to, and I, you know, my heart just aches for them. And I think that this whole experience has really helped me to better mourn with those who are mourning thinking about my marriage and my husband, um, you know, I think about Joel and I and how our courtship and our first year of marriage were so carefree. You know, we just went where we went, wanted to go and did what we wanted to do. And we had such a good time. And then we had a baby and that slows things down a little bit. <laughs> and then we were just in this crucible for three years. You know, it was a lot for any marriage to take. Um, and especially such a young one. I mean, we haven't even been married for six years. Um, so I know that without Christ as our foundation, we would have struggled and maybe we wouldn't have made it at all. But Joel's commitment to me through all of this, uh, you know, it wasn't a given, but I know that he has taken his vows seriously, you know, for better or for worse, for, for, for sickness and in health. So I'm thankful every day for his godly character. Um, and I rejoice in this godly marriage that we have. And he's just really been the hands and feet of Jesus through this entire, entire journey. And, you know, the most important part of that is that his love and his patience with me and his devotion have just given me a clearer picture of Christ's love for me, you know, and the, you know, we're, how, that's how husbands are supposed to love their wives. You know, they're supposed to love, love them as Christ loves his church and they're supposed to be concerned with their sanctification. And Joel has just put that he's, he's just done that. So will I learn why all of this happened once I'm in heaven? I think about that a lot. You know, am I going to get answers? Is God going to explain any of this to me? And he might, but I've gotten to a place where I don't really look forward to those answers as much as I just look forward to standing in his glory because I know that it's going to be mesmerizing, that it's going to eclipse every bad, painful thing that's ever happened, that none of it is going to matter. And when I stand in his love and I stand in his presence, and so I'm looking forward to that more so than I am an explanation, I guess, you know, and I've grown in ways that I never would have if I hadn't found myself free falling in grief and in fear and in depression and just into his trustworthy arms. You know, we found that Rachel's story is so applicable to so many of us right now with this concept of waiting. And, you know, we all have our plans and we've been really good at, at following our plans lately and not having them that messed up until recently. Right. And so there was just so much to learn from her having this plan that is that we all have and it doesn't work and going, Lord, what now what? How do I trust you when I've never really had to trust you before? 
Yeah, it was just taking her faith to such a deeper level. I mean, we all we talk about this a lot, a head knowledge versus a heart right. knowledge mm-hmm. and really being able to live out our faith. And good grief, she had to live out her faith going through the miscarriages and going through the cancer diagnosis. I mean, I just learned so much from Mm -hmm. her as far as just really taking my faith to God and saying, you know what, your will be done, not mine. And her just seeing her transformation of focusing on blessings. When she said that, I thought that is what all of us have had to do these past couple of months is focus on the positive. And she said she learned that she could not be joyful in her own strength. And we know that joy comes from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so I have felt that too. I'm sure y'all have just in the past couple of months of you have to remind yourself, what am I thankful for? What do I have gratitude for? And, And she had so many hard things in her life, but yet she was able to find joy in the Lord. When, even when she talked about when she woke up from the hysterectomy and that she'd been so fearful going yep. in and she woke up with, with such peace, peace instantly. Yes. And we've had that on so many stories. It was a peace I could not explain. Mm-hmm. And that peace only comes from God. You know, one of the things that she mentioned early on in her story, this was when she was first trying to get pregnant, and she focused in on the verse from Isaiah, Isaiah um, chapter 30, verse 15, that said, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. But what she didn't say is the end of that verse says, but you would have none of it. And this is actually God speaking, you know, to the Israelites, you know, in the Old Testament, and he was telling them, you know, you are not going to find your strength from this world. You are only going to find it from me. And I encourage you, if you're not an Old Testament reader, (laughs) go back and read Isaiah chapter 30. It is so applicable to this concept of of us trying to find our hope in the world and the Israelites trying to find their hope in Egypt at the time. And especially right now in this moment, God wants us to rest in knowing that he is still in control, even though we don't feel him in some of the moments with the chaos that's going on. He is in control. And that is where we are going to find our strength. Yeah, that that he hasn't gone anywhere, That's right. that he's not absent or missing, you know, that he's right there. So thank you so much for listening today. We hope you really enjoyed Rachel's story and that God spoke to your heart specifically where you needed to hear it today. And we would love for you to tune in next week because it is our hundredth episode. (laughs) We are going to celebrate. We're having fun. Our entire team is going to be on here. And so also, if you don't follow us on social media, it's a great time to start at Storytellers Loud Podcast on Instagram and Facebook because we're doing a big giveaway for our hundredth episode. And it just so happens that it's also our third birthday. And so we're going to celebrate our birthday and our hundredth episode all next week. So please join us and feel free to share this podcast with friends. Friends, we love when you subscribe. You can rate and review. We read all of them and we are so thankful. So have a great week and join us next week to celebrate. Bye.